Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Women of the Word podcast. I'm Lauren Susanto here with Jen Wilkin. Hey, Lauren. Hey, how's it going? Good. Good. Thanks again for joining me today. So I thought before we get started on this episode that it might be helpful to kind of recap where we've been so far. Mm -hmm. So the first episode, we talked about the importance of Bible literacy, right. what it is, why it's important, why it's worth the effort. From there, we went through overcoming a few common barriers to Bible study, mm -hmm. how to actually get into the Bible for ourselves, overcoming some of the barriers that make it difficult to do yeah. that. And then lastly, we looked at a few potentially limiting or unhelpful approaches to studying the Bible. Right. Mm -hmm. And so maybe some women are listening to this and thinking, wow, like I, I've done some of those things or some of those approaches are how I've been studying the Bible in the past. And that could be potentially discouraging to people. I know there's times when I've done some of those things and hearing that there's better approaches out there to studying the Bible can feel discouraging to know that the way I'm spending my time might not be the way to make the most of my time. Yeah, I think discouragement and even embarrassment is the way. Yeah. I, I, I remember feeling embarrassed when I, and I can even think back on, um, because unfortunately I started teaching the Bible before I necessarily had a lot of good tools in place. And I think of some of the lessons that I taught in the early years. So like I wasn't just learning it in clunky ways. I was showing other people how to learn it in clunky ways. So I got to live with that. But I do think that we need to recognize that this is the secret that we're all kind of keeping. It's it's the it's this dirty little secret that's in all of our churches, and it's that none of us knows the Bible as well as we probably should, but that with a little bit of help, we can start moving forward. And so again, we should just acknowledge it. And I always like for people to remember that the reason you thought you were doing something the right way is because someone told you that's the right way to do this. And uh, maybe you haven't had enough years to recognize that it wasn't yielding what you thought it was yielding. Maybe you have, but um, there's a parenting principle that I'll just apply here as well. That's it's never too late to start doing the right thing. And so you can make good progress. And I think what you'll find too is some of the things that were perhaps helpful with a foundational understanding, you'll start to see just how helpful they can be as you develop a base level understanding. Great. So we're all in this together. Yep. We've all been there. We've yep. done some of the things that might not be the best. And so now we're going to help equip people to study the Bible for themselves well. Yeah. So let's get into these five principles right. that you mentioned in the book. What's the first one? Well, so first of all, when we talk about principles, we're talking high level, right? And right, so we will right. have an opportunity to talk more granularly about how this is going to play out. But these are sort of like the, the guiding ideals behind all of this. And so mm -hmm. the first one is that we want to study with purpose. And so as we looked at in some of our less than helpful approaches, we've brought various purposes to our study, but we want to have the right purpose in mind. And so the most obvious statement that I could ever make about the Bible is that the Bible is a book about God, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't know anyone who's ever owned a Bible or spent time with a Bible who would have said, no, Jen, that is an untrue statement. Right. Um, but unfortunately, many of us, though we know the Bible is a book about God, we have treated it as though it is a book about us primarily. And so we come to it asking, who am I questions before we ask, who are you uh, about God himself? And the Bible is where God discloses his nature and character to us. And so when we start to study with purpose, we make our main purpose that we will love the God of the Bible better through our study. So again, um, we're not just studying the Bible for information, we're studying the Bible for transformation and it's relational, it's not just informational. It's the means by which we get to know the God that we say that we love. 
So the first one, purpose, kind of helps just get our mindset in the right mm-hmm. place. It's it's more of a, a mental orientation of how we look at the Bible, how we come to the Bible. It is, it is. And I think, again, you have to do a little self-assessment here. You have to recognize, do I have a very well-developed vocabulary about what's true about God? A lot of us really don't. And depending on our background, we might have an overdeveloped vocabulary about God as being super judgmental and scary, or an overdeveloped vocabulary about God being super snuggly and loving, right? And the Bible gives us a balanced picture of who God is. But like sometimes I have thought about how um, we get married on relatively little information, like to be fair, you know? I mean, I married Jeff Wilkin and I had this idea of who I thought he was based on the information that I had. Uh, and so now we will have been married 30 years this summer. And I look back on what I thought I knew about him when we first got married and the things that I know to be true about him now. It's like things that I suspected or hoped they were true of him now I know are true because yeah. I've spent 30 years learning him right. in a way that I just couldn't have possibly known him when we were married. And the end result of that is not just that I know him better. I would have said when I married him that I loved him a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But the way that my love for him feels now at the 30-year mark doesn't even compare, right, to the yeah. way that it did on our wedding day. And so when we think about the Bible as a means to love God, like many of us, uh, arguably all of us, come to salvation on relatively little information about God. You know, we understand mm-hmm. the gospel, the Spirit speaks truth into our inner person, we respond in faith, but we don't really know him that well. There are things that we suspect about him or hope to be true about him. And then when we devote ourselves to learning what is true about him, we see the same thing, I would say an even better thing happen. In a human relationship, you might learn things about your human partner that you don't want to know or that disappoint you, but uh, that's not true about our, our learning about God. And so as we know him more, our love for him deepens, our faith in him becomes surety. And um, that's the work of a long time, but it is the purpose behind everything we do. It's not just so I can know about him, it's so I can know him and love him the way that I'm built to love him. So when we come to the Bible with purpose, Mm -hmm. it's the first step in the process, Mm -hmm. this purpose, this getting our minds oriented to think about the Bible correctly and think ultimately Mm -hmm. about the end goal, that Mm -hmm. it's not just doing Bible study for Bible study's sake, Mm -hmm. it's to know and love the Lord more. So after we have that purpose, Mm -hmm. we've thought about that, we have our mind straight, the next P is perspective. What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Well, when we study with perspective, it means that we recognize that though the Bible is written for me and for now, that it was first written for someone else, for them and for then. It had an original audience. Mm-hmm. And when it was written to that audience, it was written with particular issues in mind with a particular way of seeing the world in mind. And so what perspective is, is the work of getting into the skin of that original audience as much as we can. Uh, We're 2,000 years or more removed from some of these original audiences. And so what can often happen is we say, well, I don't really care about what this meant for them and for them because it's me time. When I come to the Bible, it's me time. And there's a principle of understanding the Bible that says, that a passage or a verse cannot mean something to me that it never could have meant for them. And people hear this and they say, well, 
well, I don't see how that could be true. I mean, a passage could mean something to me that it didn't mean to Moses, you know, at the time that he was writing the words down. Uh, or like, for example, um, the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham understood those promises that he received from God in a particular way. We understand them expansively right. because we have the whole story of the Bible and he only had a little bit of it. But when we say it can't mean something to me that it never could have meant to him, what we're saying is if he and I were to sit down and have a conversation in the New Jerusalem, and I actually think this would be amazing, and I said to him, this is what the land promise that God gave to you means in my generation of believers, that he would be able to look down through time toward that and say, yeah, I can see how you got there. That, that is a connection point that matters uh, and that makes sense and that's appropriate. But, you know, I've had conversations. I remember one conversation I had with a woman years ago where she was taking the land promises of the Bible in particular back in the Old Testament and saying that God was promising her a husband through them. Well, if I were to have a conversation with Abraham in the New Jerusalem and say, hey, the land promises were this promise that I was going to marry Jeff Wilkin, he would not be able to say, oh yeah, I can see exactly how that fits together in the scheme of redemptive history. Yeah. So this means that when we sit to study a book of the Bible, before we read it, we're gonna take time to ask, who wrote this book? The human authorship matters, right? God could have just had a divine finger come down and write scripture, but he didn't. He wrote through human authors. And so we would expect to see something of that human author's perspective being used by the spirit to communicate truth in a particular way. So we ask who wrote a book? To whom was it written? Who's that original audience? Um, and then when we ask that, we ask when was this book written? So as best as we can tell in what time period was it written? Because then it's not that hard to find out just some basic understanding of what were the cultural realities of that day? What were the historical realities of that day? Were they educated? Were they uneducated? Were they affluent? Were they poor? Mm -hmm. What was the region like that they lived in? Um, that might impact the way that we understand the way a book is written. What are some of the major themes? Because the major themes are gonna show us what was top of mind for that human author inspired, inspired by the Spirit as they crafted the message of the book. Um, and we would also want to ask, in what style is the book written? So we take into account what are called just genre rules. Um, the Bible is made up of a bunch of different kinds of writing, and we don't read them all the same way. We don't read Proverbs as promises. Um, we don't read um, the law the same way that we would read poetry. Apocalyptic, like Revelation, is using language in a very different way than just a straight historical narrative is using it in the Old Testament. And so we understand that the Spirit inspires human authors to write with known literary forms according to the basic principles of those literary forms. So uh, the first time I read a haiku poem, mm -hmm. I thought it was terrible. It didn't rhyme. It was wonky. Yeah. What are we doing, right? Cadence is weird. <laughs> yeah, until someone explained to me that there was an ordered way that the syllables yeah. fit together. And then you begin to realize that there's a great deal of artistry and care that's taken in those poems to communicate what they do. The same is true of the books of the Bible. When we understand the rules of the genre that they're written in, they begin to come alive for us in a way that we didn't see them before. So those five questions, I can see how they're really helpful. Mm -hmm. It gives us some context, a mm -hmm. lot of context, really, to mm -hmm. why the book was written the way that it was. Yes. But I personally, I'm not a 
archaeologist mm-hmm. or a Bible scholar, yeah. where would I go to find this information? Yeah. Oh, just Google stuff on the internet. Yeah, no, just <laughs> kidding. Uh, well, really, the 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 most basic place that most of us can go, the simplest place, mm-hmm. is if you just have a good study Bible, and um, so that would be you know the ESV or the NIV, like any any basic good study Bible that's been around long enough that we would know if it was having some big issue, underlying yeah. issue. At the beginning of each book of the Bible, they give you this background information. And it it may not all agree if you were to read in a couple of different study Bibles what that background information is, but you'll get enough of a sense of what you need to be able to read through the book by just starting there and reading some information on that. And there are some other online, you know, places that you could go for help. Um, but really, a, a study Bible is a really simple um, one-stop shop for that kind of information. Yeah. Okay, so we come to the Bible with purpose. Mm-hmm. We remember in our hearts what the Bible is, mm-hmm. what the end goal is for. Mm-hmm. Then we ask these five questions to kind of orient ourselves to the book itself. Who wrote it? What are the themes? What time period was it written mm-hmm. in? To help us kind of understand the book of the Bible itself. Mm-hmm. What would be the third P in this process. Well, you're probably starting to guess what it is just based on what we've already talked about because you can't be in a hurry if you're going to try to get yourself into the skin of the original learner. And you can't be in a hurry if you're like, oh, I'm going to take a thought level approach to understanding who God is because I want to feel deeply. So therefore, I want to think deeply about God. And so what we're talking about in the next P is patience, that you're going to have to let this be a long game. And this is hard for us. We live in an instant gratification culture that says patience is actually not a virtue. It's something that you should not require. And uh, the irony of this for Christians is that by definition, the Christian faith is one of delayed gratification. We await a coming king. And so of all people, the children of God should be marked by patience in all things. But we live in a day and age of great impatience. Um, We don't have steadfastness. Or we think that steadfastness has only to do with enduring trials or with wrestling our sin uh, patterns to the ground. But steadfastness also has to do with the way that we relate to the scriptures. When we think about patience, what we're saying is we have to allow ourselves to get lost a little bit and then to find our way rather than feel like we know the way immediately. So really the easiest way to think about this is like Google Maps. Nobody gets lost anymore because you can just pull up an address on your phone and get there no problem. But if someone took your phone away, you wouldn't have any muscle memory around the route to get there unless it was a place that you go to all the time. So um, I was traveling recently and um, on the back of the uh, seat in my uh, airplane seat, there was a travel magazine. And it had an article on Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I was like, oh, I would love to read this. I've been to Santa Fe a lot of times. I want to see what they recommend. And so I was reading this article on Santa Fe and they're describing, oh, you should stay at this hotel and eat at this restaurant and you should go to this art gallery. And I'm thinking to myself, well, those are not the recommendations I would have given. Those are like touristy places. Those are not really like, if you really want to get a feel for Santa Fe, you know, I I wouldn't go to those places. And suddenly it hits me someone has paid for this article to be written to tell people where they should go. Well, I wouldn't have known that the article had an agenda if I didn't know Santa Fe firsthand from the many, many times that I have been there. 
Um, and when, and then it occurs to me how many other articles I read in travel magazines thinking, oh, I definitely want to stay there or go to that, you know, yeah. and were they even true? Right. <laughs> uh, but I didn't learn Santa Fe from one trip. I learned it from many, many trips, you know, learned my way around the streets, learned where all of my favorite spots were and where the best places to eat were. And the Bible is like that. It's a neighborhood. Um, but it's a neighborhood that you have to drive the streets of and you have to get lost in a little bit if you're ever going to know the lie of the land and if you're ever going to know, oh no, you know, this is where I go when I need help with this or this is where I go when I want to understand this concept. It takes yeah. time. Yeah, it doesn't definitely. happen overnight. This particular key principle that you're listing feels the hardest for me because mm -hmm. it doesn't feel very methodical right. necessarily. Right. Or it's like, well, what should, just what's the next step? What right. am I supposed to do next? Well, and let's talk about too, <clears throat> just, you know, we talked about those less than helpful approaches. And one of the things that they're all guaranteeing is give a little time and get an immediate sense of fulfillment, right? right? And so what we're talking about when we talk about having patience is we're changing our mindset. And rather than viewing our time in the scripture as a debit account, Account, where I get up each morning and I put in my card and I withdraw my little sense of goodness for the day, but instead seeing it as a savings account in which I get up, I take the time that I have to read the passage that I'm in. Maybe I get to the end of it and I'm not really sure what to do with it at all, but it's time to go to work. Mm -hmm. And so I take that and I deposit it into that savings account and I say, Lord, I trust you to, to yield on that in season. Yeah. And then it has a cumulative effect over time. Those are two very different ways of thinking about the way that we interact with the scripture. It's not to say that we don't ever have a delightful short-term yield, but if that is our expectation, I think we have fundamentally misunderstood the way that books and this most important book yield up understanding and affection. There's something to be said about being able to mull over something, mm -hmm. ponder over something, even if I'm not really sure mm -hmm. what it means. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's just not natural. Mm -hmm. Even in like school or growing, thinking of other learning environments, yes. I've never really been told, just sit with something you don't know. Yeah. You, it's okay to just like sit there and yeah. not know what it means. So I think it's just unnatural to think, okay, I'm going to read this. I'm going to spend time in this passage, even if I'm really not sure what it means and I'm going to be okay mm -hmm. letting myself come back to it later to continue working out the answer rather than just like trying to figure it out. Well, right and you and may gain some understanding, you know, in that yeah. brief contact, but you probably won't gain deep and lasting understanding. So again, going back to the analogy of getting lost, if you ever have been lost somewhere and not had uh, access to a map or a GPS of any kind, and then you do find your way to where you're going, mm -hmm. you never forget how to get there again, right? right? Because right. you had the right set of brain chemistry happening that it's now indelibly etched on your brain. Yeah. And I think that's what we don't recognize like with learning theory is that we see that dissonant feeling of, oh, I know what I currently know and what I wish I knew. We see that as something to get rid of immediately. Yeah. And that sabotages the learning outcome. You have to feel dissonance. Dissonance is the beginning of learning. It's where learning begins. And so if you medicate it quickly by Googling something or running to a commentary, then your aha moment is only going to be so effective when yeah. it happens. Yeah. So patience is not only in we don't have to rush through the study or reading the passage, but it's also not rushing to the answer. That's right. It's okay to consult commentaries and to read what someone said about the Bible. You will encounter those resources 
very differently if you've given yourself good time to dwell in the I don't know and to just let yourself sit in it and to say, well, maybe it means this or maybe it means this because then when you hear what people who maybe are smarter than you, maybe have studied it longer, have to say, you'll be able to hear it um, with more of your own investment in it because again, it's your mind that you're to love God with. Okay, so once we've kind of wrapped our, our minds around patience, not rushing, being willing to kind of sit in the uncomfortable, mm -hmm. that's kind of something that goes throughout the whole process of Bible study. Mm -hmm. And I did just kind of say the next one, process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, what does that part of this mean, process? So studying with process is addressing that question that we looked at in our previous episode yeah. of not all ways of encountering the scripture are yielding what we think that they're yielding, but there are good processes that we can follow. And I do just like to point out this idea of process is not a new idea. Like I didn't yeah. sit at home and come up with it. <laughs> now, what I did was sit at home and try to systematize what I was seeing was working. Mm -hmm. I did. And then I discovered that a lot of other people had done the same work, right? Yeah. And I You're thought, okay, the wheel. but you know what? In, in this line of work, novelty carries a high penalty. You don't want to be making up new stuff, right. Right? right? And so I do just like to remind people that when we talk about a process for studying the scripture, it's not new. It is what Dallas Willard would call an old thing recently forgotten. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this is an act of retrieval. It is um, how do we carry the good deposit from one generation to the next? Well, we use good tools. We use a process. And so we talked a little about the process actually at the end of our last episode. Yeah, and we'll talk about it more in, in right. episodes to come. Right, right. But just really quickly, yeah. it's moving through layers of understanding. And it starts with, uh, my acronym is CIA, comprehension, what does it say, interpretation, what does it mean, and then application, how should, I change, how should it change me, what should I do with it? And there are particular tools associated with each of those levels that can help you um, move through that process. And so um, too often, a lot of the resources that we have been given, like something you might go and buy at the Christian bookstore, they do comprehension and interpretation for you, and then they just give you application questions. And so a lot of us have become application hogs. You know, we're just like, just tell me what to do with it. Just tell me what to do with it. And even if you get good application questions, if you haven't done those initial two steps, your motivation and your motive for actually acting on the application point are just going to be dulled. They're not going to be what they would be if you had gone through the whole process yourself. So what is the last principle? Well, I hate a little bit that it's last because it probably would have been more pious to put it first <laughs> and even more accurate maybe because the last one is that we should pray. Um, and prayer is not something that you do just as an afterthought when it yeah. comes to encountering the scriptures. If anything, it should happen before, during, and after your time that you're spending in the scriptures. And so we pray before we study and we ask that the Lord would remove distractions. We ask that he would open our eyes and give us ears to hear. We ask he would prepare us to receive from his word. Um, so that preparation prayer matters a lot and just being oriented and just being still, honestly, being able to quiet your thoughts and your heart before the Lord. And then as you're studying, uh, maybe you're not like this, but I am, my mind will start to drift or I'll start to think about like what I need to do after I'm oh, done. Yeah. Or I'll feel that anxiety building of like, I have no idea what's going on here and I'm running out of time. So all of those things that can sabotage uh, our ability to just be gaining understanding in the moment, we just pray and say, Lord, help me. I can feel my mind wandering. Or Lord, help me. Is there another connection that you want me to make here? 
um, you know, or, or is my lesson today that I need to trust you that this is going to be useful to me at some point in the future because I am not seeing anything right now. Um, so working through that layer of prayer, and then we pray after we study. We ask that the Lord would make what needs to stick, stick, and that if there were ideas or thoughts that we had that were foreign to what would be in the Bible itself, that they would just fade away. We wouldn't remember those things. Lord, help us to retain the things that are true and honest and just and pure and beautiful and lovely, and so on. And um, and then I think we pray what we're reading. You know, we pray the scriptures that are applicable to pray to the Lord um, as a means of um, writing them deeper on our hearts. So prayer should cover every element of what we're doing and not as an afterthought. It should be sort of an overarching principle for everything that we're doing. Yeah, that's so helpful, especially too, because some of these are processes mm -hmm. and so it can get a little mechanical bit mechanical yes or, mm -hmm. and you know the bible is a book about god mm -hmm. god speaks through his word right. and so we speak back to him in That's prayer right. and so the prayer element is so helpful in mm -hmm. keeping it tied to the ultimate purpose mm -hmm. it kind of relates back and dialogic right yes it, it makes it a conversation instead of just a lecture of some sort yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so that's the five P's of sound study mm -hmm. that we've covered. But I know mm -hmm. sometimes that you say there's one extra one. Mm -hmm. What is that mm -hmm. one? The bonus P. The bonus uh, P. And it's the one that <laughs> it is important to mention because um, if there's anything that I would say in the in the decade or so that Women of the Word has been out there, that people will reflect back to me that I think, oh, I don't want you to think that after finishing this book. They'll say, I finally know how to study the Bible on my own. Now, I do hope that their own personal discipline of Bible study is growing and it's growing in process and all of these principles that we've just talked about. But the sixth P would be study with people, study with other people. The Bible is not meant to be read in isolation. It's not meant to be understood in isolation. And so we need good conversation partners. And that means that, um, and this helps also if you're in a stage of life where you don't have a lot of time, it gives you that nice layer of accountability to stay yeah. in the process. But but it also gives you good and meaningful dialogue partners. And so don't try to do it on your own. Another layer of dialogue partners that is important for us to keep in view are people who have written on these things throughout the history of the church. Those are also dialogue partners for us. So now I'm talking about commentators, people who have written things about the Bible. Uh, we shouldn't just read and study on our own and then never hear what people who've thought about this longer than we have have to say about it, or never hear about what our peers are also seeing when we're in the same text. The Lord would not give the gift of teaching in the church if it were not needful. And so it's getting it in its right place in the process and understanding that I'm not meant to do this alone. Um, uh, my latest hot take on, on Christianity is there's no such thing as an individual relationship with Jesus Christ. Because by definition, we're not just saved into a personal relationship, we're saved into relationship with every other member of the church, local and universal. And so when we think about learning the scriptures, we think about that frame of reference as well. So we never have to do this alone. Bible That's study right. isn't. And we shouldn't. Not us. Shouldn't do it alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jen, just for the, giving us this preview. I'm excited to kind of dive in deeper in the next few episodes, talking about the Bible study process in more detail. And thank you, too, for joining us for this episode of the Women of the Word podcast. Tune in next week where Jen and I will talk through the Bible study process, starting with comprehension. If you found these conversations helpful, we'd love for you to join us for the rest of this series. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you all again next week.